obviously the theme that you've been talking about over this time is the develop, developing Christian character. Oh yeah, already. Developing Christian character and, and, and you've probably heard a number of the components of this, uh, this, this Christian character that is ours as Pastor John has been speaking over a little while today. What we are going to be talking about is faithfulness. We're going to be talking about faithfulness as a component of the fruit of the Spirit. Does that TV up the back not work, guys? Doesn't matter if it doesn't, if it's, yeah. Thank you, excellent. All right. Uh, and so the passage that we'll be looking at, well, probably one of, one of the passages that we'll be looking at, there's going to be a whole lot of scriptures that we're going to go through today. Not all of them are going to be up on the board. In fact, many of them won't be. So if you are a note taker and you want to actually test to see what I've been speaking is true, then you want to write the verses down just so that you can be a good Berean. So I actually encourage that. We will be focusing on John, or not necessarily focusing, but this will be part of what we're talking about. John uh, uh, 3 John verses 1 to 5. I haven't put a chapter in there because obviously 3 John doesn't have a chapter. It's just one small letter. Now, I don't know what Pastor John has actually been speaking to you about. I don't know what it is that you've heard in the messages over the last little while, but it's possible that, that today what you're going to hear is a bit of a repeat of what he has already spoken about. What you will hear is a whole lot of a repeat of what we've heard about already this morning whether it be through the communion or through our worship leader or even through Dougie the talk guy, we are going to probably just get a, a, another hit of that and obviously the Spirit of God wants that to happen. The number one purpose for us, and I want to start with this truth statement this morning, the number one purpose for us, for our salvation, for this life that God has given us, is not about you and it's not about me. The number one purpose... Um, Dan, can you move that on for me? Because it's not working with my trigger. Thank you. The number one purpose is about the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 the purpose of God saving sinful people and broken people like you and me and drawing us to, into the kingdom of God and the service of God through the church is that he might get glory to himself. That he might get glory to himself. If you have ever placed anything above the, that primary calling of your life, you have made for yourself an idol. We need to keep the truth in our hearts and in our minds that the reason we are here is to glorify our Heavenly Father. And that will be the flavour of our message this morning. When it comes to Christian character, the perfect and right thing to do is for us to consider the Holy Spirit's work in us. We cannot become Christ-like without Christ living in us and he lives in us by the Holy Spirit. To help me explain that today, we are going to have a bit of a look at an apple tree. And as we have a look at that apple tree, I want to ask you a question and I want a feedback. What is on that tree that you see? It is apples. Are there any avocados? Are there any custard apples? 
Are there any prickly pears? No, 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 it's only apples. There are only apples on that tree and it makes sense, doesn't it? An apple tree is going to bear the fruit of the apple. So what happens when we eat an apple? What are we actually doing when we take that apple and we chew it? Well, if you're a little kid or perhaps even if you're an older person, sometimes you lose teeth, but that's not the point. What happens is when we, when we eat that apple, we take it into ourselves, it becomes part of us, it, it nourishes us. We take that apple into us. So what is the components or the parts of an apple? We have a look at this, we can see from the picture that we have a leaf and a stem. Well, we actually don't eat those bits, they can stay on the tree. But there is skin, there is flesh, there is seeds, there is a core, there is all that stuff. Of course, we don't eat the seeds either but you get the drift. But what we also see here in this picture of an apple is there's some things that are missing. There's carbohydrates in an apple. There's protein in an apple. There's vitamins and minerals in an apple. There's roughage or fibre in an apple. All of these are the components of the fruit of the apple tree. All these things play a part as food into our bodies, the bodies of those who eat it. But here's the thing, right? You don't go to that tree and you don't pluck off a carbohydrate. And you don't go and pluck off roughage. You pluck off the whole fruit and you eat the whole fruit. When you eat an apple, you get the package deal. That's just how it is. No bits missing, you get the lot. But here's the thing, I was doing some research about this, this fruit of the Spirit and there are a lot of people, and I even hear it in churches and I've probably said it myself so many times I wouldn't even remember, is that some people speak about the fruit of the Spirit being multiple fruits of the Spirit, um, individual fruits of the Spirit. They say that, that love is one fruit of the Spirit, that kindness is another fruit of the Spirit, but if you have a look at this picture, it actually doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. That's one tree bearing a whole big bunch of different fruits. Well, in nature it doesn't work that way and I think in the spiritual realm it doesn't work that way either. I see it is that the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit that comes with the Spirit that has many parts or many attributes. And you might ask the question then, well, what does it matter? What does it really matter and why is, it, is there really a difference? But there is a big difference because sometimes what can happen is that we can go out into our day and we can think to ourselves or we can behave like there is no peace in us. We can be rude to people, we can be frustrated with ourselves, we can be challenged, we go, I've got no peace, perhaps the Lord hasn't given me that gift yet or that fruit yet. But we can't say that. Or perhaps it can be about self-control. We, we, we go out and somebody annoys us and we become angry. Or we look at that beautiful smorgasbord and we eat more than we should. Or we think things in our mind that we probably shouldn't and we say, you know, that's okay because God hasn't actually yet given me the fruit of self-control. 
But that's not what the scripture teaches because the scripture teaches that we get it all from the Spirit. So I suggest, frankly, that that is dodgy theology. I think it's faulty thinking. God says in 2 Peter 1.3 that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has given us everything. If you are a Christian, God has given it to you. Everything that you need for life and godliness. Believing otherwise is faulty thinking. Believing otherwise causes us to actually start believing lies. I haven't got self-control yet. I don't have the gift or the fruit of love yet, so it doesn't matter so much. I can be loveless because God hasn't done that in me yet. But there's another thing that happens when we start to think like this, and that is that we steal glory from God. We steal glory from God. We steal away that very thing that we were purposed to do, and it also steals away our freedom. You see, I am free to be self-controlled. I am free to love. I am free to live in joy. I am free because God has given me these things. But the challenge for us is that sometimes God hasn't worked those things out or maybe those things that are in there, we have put roadblocks in front of to prevent them from coming out quite yet. Remembering, of course, that God is in the business of sanctification. God, I know that you will work these things out from me. God, I haven't lived in the love that you have put in me. Lord, I repent. Bring it out from me, what you've already put in me. It's all there It says, the divine power. I want to read this verse to you. It says in Colossians 2, 9 to 10, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of the deity lives in us because the fullness of Christ lives in us. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is head over every power and authority. Now that's my two bits worth about the fruit of the Spirit. It's all or nothing and that's the place and the space that we're going to be working from this morning that that when the Spirit of God comes in us we have received the fullness of that Spirit and all that he brings. Faithfulness is an attribute of the fruit of the Spirit just as carbs and protein in the apple work differently in our human bodies, so too do all those attributes of the spirit work differently in our spirit, in our, in our new life. They play differing parts and they affect our spiritual health. Though all of these things overlap and they all interact, they are all different. Here's a fun fact for you. If you have a look at Galatians chapter 5 and the King James you won't see the word faithfulness. And actually, I was doing a word search in, the, in that big book thing, I can't remember the name of it, it's just gone out of my mind, uh, where all the words are in. 
concordance, thank you, beautiful, um, in the King James, and is, is actually faithfulness doesn't appear in the New Testament. It's, if there's no written word there. Anyway, let's move on. That was a, that was a by the by. So faith, faith actually doesn't appear in that list of attributes of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians in the, New, in the King James Version. The word faith in the Greek means to persuade or be persuaded. Now, I don't know about you. When I looked at that, I looked at that word. I want to find out if it's, if it's only faith in that attribute list. I want to know what faith actually means. And so I had a look and faith said to be persuaded. And I thought, that's, that's different. It actually changes the way I think about faith. And for a Christian, when we're talk, talking about that, we are talking about divine persuasion. It just sheds a different light on that. So, when we are talking about faith, it's not our faith, it is the faith or the persuasion, the work that God has done on us and in us. Faith is a gift from God to us. It's not ours so it's not my faith, it's the faith that God has given me and when I speak like that, God gets the glory, not me. And it reminds me that primary reason for my purpose is the glorification of God. I have no claim on that faith and if I did, then I would be able to receive some glory for myself and all glory belongs to God. What this persuasion does, what this divine persuasion does for me is asks me to respond. That's what it asks me to respond. So how does God persuade us? He persuades us through the gospel, that song that was sung just before communion. If I was to call it another name, I would call it the gospel song. Because that's what it was all about. It is the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, as we read in Romans 10, 17. And I just want to mention this too. When we think about these next three verses, we see all three members of the Trinity playing a part in that spiritual persuasion that brings faith. It says... And yet no one comes to the Father except he draws him. No one comes to the Father but by the Father's drawing, John 6.44. And I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, says Jesus, John 14.6. And he saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, no glory of our side, not by the righteous things that we have done but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Titus 3, 5-6. All three members of the Godhead involved in our salvation and our sanctification in our faith. I want to talk about faithfulness now or being faithful and one of the things that I think is just as important as anything else that first and foremost God is faithful to himself. 
If God wasn't faithful to himself, then we could not trust him. If our God was by another another God's name, another great big religion in this world, then we would be under a God who is arbitrary, a God who always changes his mind, a God who says, I accept you if you do this and I don't accept you if you don't do that. But our God is not like that. Our God is faithful. He has given us so many promises, which Keith spoke about this morning, so many promises, and he is faithful to them all the way through the Old Testament. He gave us symbols and signs and stories and prophecies that he was going to send his son to us to save us and he did because he's faithful to himself and we can trust him. We can trust him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful and he cannot deny himself, says 2 Timothy 2.13. And God is not human, that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and men not act? Does he promise and not fulfil? Numbers 23, 19. And in the Psalms we read, Psalm 71, 22, you are faithful to your promises, O my God. And as God, God is faithful to himself, we can respond to that persuasion from him upon our hearts and we respond in faithfulness. There are three outworkings of faithfulness I really want to speak about this morning. The first is uh, that God wants us to be faithful to him. The next is being faithful to others and Of course, the last is faithfulness to self. I think that actually lines up really, really well with the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and your neighbour and yourself. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to others, faithful to yourself. Faith in scripture looks very, very much like action to me. Other people might say faith looks like obedience. Either way, obedience, action. A person who has been persuaded acts out their faith. There is legs on faith. They demonstrate their faith by faithfulness. In Hebrews 11, uh, this great faith chapter that we read about, we see Abraham. God persuaded him. This is what I'm going to do with you. And Abraham showed his faithfulness by leaving Ur. If he stayed in Ur, was that faith real faith? Moses was asked, I want you to take my people out of Egypt. Moses responded. He did. He acted and he led the people out of Egypt. Faith without actions is phony, so James says. Faith without actions is dead. So then, if we are thinking about faithfulness, then I think our first faithfulness, of course, is faithfulness to God. But you see, we can't even claim, we cannot even claim any, we don't even have any claim on the faithfulness that we give to God because everything that we have is given to us by God in the first place. The thing is, if it wasn't that God would give us faithfulness, then we wouldn't be faithful. We couldn't be faithful, especially to God. So then faithfulness to God is action.
action. It's a response to the persuasion that God has given us and we give it back to him. That's the rightful place that it belongs. As a New Testament receiver of faith, the very first action that we are asked to do with the faith that God gives us is to respond in baptism. So that is faithfulness directly to God. Then there is the act of faithfulness to those around us. The the, the act of faithfulness to the truth of God from within us into the lives of those around us. And this is where things get just a little bit tougher. I don't know about you, but perhaps it's just me, and I don't think it is, but perhaps it is. There's this carnal nature that still lives in me that when I get some encouragement, a pat on the back from somebody to say, hey, you did a good job with this, and this, this that I did was only what God has given me to do, and I was faithful in doing it. But what happens is that when people encourage me so often, I want to take some of that glory for myself. And it doesn't belong to me. There's this human tendency in me to bring some of that glory to me. Now I have to say that it happens less and less as life goes on. Again, James 1.14 reminds me that this happens because there's still evil desires in me. And these evil desires drag me away and they allow me to steal the glory that belongs to God alone. John reminds us that the glory from bearing fruit belongs to God. This is what John says. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So our passage this morning shows this well. I'm going to read that passage. 3 John, verses 1 to 5. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gives me great joy to have some brothers come to me and tell me your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. When these disciples came, these followers of Jesus came to John, they told John that, that Gaius was faithful. They could see his faithfulness was experiential. It was obvious. It was visible. He says that he walks in the truth. It was something that they could see was happening from this man, from the godliness of this man coming to the outside. Dear friends, you are faithful in what you are doing. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. You see, the faithfulness of God outworks from us into places that we would never have expected it to happen before. It's easy for us as non-Christian people to be faithful to our friends at times and faithful to our families, but sometimes it's more difficult to be faithful to those people that we hardly know. But this is what Gaius is showing here. He is showing that even to people he did not know, he was living out the faithfulness of God into their lives. 
Now there is faithfulness to yourself. Faithfulness to yourself. And I think for many of us, this is probably the hardest one. You know, it's so easy for us to believe lies about ourselves. It's so easy for us to be tossed to and fro by the buffeting of life that comes on us all the time. Whatever we listen to, the things that we see, the relationships that we have, we get buffeted and we start to think lies about ourselves. We easily believe all sorts of things that others tell us and what we tell ourselves that are not true. I'm so unworthy. I'm so untalented. I'm so unspiritual. I'm so incompetent. I'm useless at everything. But my Bible does not tell me that. My Bible tells me that God saves you. God changes you. God will sustain you and he will bring you home. That's what my Bible says. That's the truth. That's what we need to believe. It says he will bring us home. Demonstrating faithfulness to yourself means not doubting. Not doubting the promises of God. Not doubting whether you've done enough. Not doubting whether you're good enough. Not doubting that you have a relationship with God. In reality, none of us are good enough. None of us have done enough. But God who lives in us has. That's the truth. There is nothing you did to get yourself where you are with Christ. So why then should we start doubting that we can continue with Christ by doing stuff now? Why do we think that God is going to cast us out? Why do we start thinking we are failures? The reality is it's because we are failures that God came and saved us. It's because we are outcasts that God came and saved us. Be faithful to yourself. Be faithful into yourself, continuing to believe the truth that God is in you and he is faithful. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, the founder or the author in other versions, the founder and perfecter of your faith is Jesus' job in you to perfect your faith. Where you have shortcomings now, God will work it out because he is faithful. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, as is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And the Bible tells us that he is interceding for us. He's speaking to his Father on our behalf. What a great God. And last thing this morning, your faithfulness to God, to those around you, to yourselves brings glory to God. I just want to reiterate that, that this is so important. 1 Corinthians, I've left it off. This says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, we all do, 
If anyone speaks, we should speak as one conveying the words of God. So when we're talking to that lady over the checkout, when we're talking to that bank manager because something, some money's gone out of our account, they shouldn't have gone out of our account, when we're speaking to that person on the phone, we're trying to work out a difficult situation and it's not sorting out. Remember your words. When you speak, convey the words of God. If anyone serves, he should serve with the strength that God provides. Whether it's in your sporting team, whether it's serving your employer in the workplace, whatever it is, do it in the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So let's just have a quick sum up. We were created and saved to bring glory to God. That's our number one purpose. The fruit of the Spirit is one fruit with many attributes and you get the package deal whether you like it or not. You get that package deal when the Spirit of God comes and lives and invades your life. God is faithful to himself so therefore we can trust him and be faithful to him. There are three demonstrations of faithfulness. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to others and faithfulness to ourselves. And just in case you missed it, all our faithfulness, all of it, all brings glory to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the truth that is so buried in your word. We thank you, Father, that it's not buried to be irretrievable, but it is buried to be dug through and sifted out and to be enjoyed. And we thank you, Father, for this incredible spirit who comes in. When he comes in, he brings so much into our lives, the fullness of Christ, We thank you that we can be called Christians because all that you have done and I thank you Father that you have a heart to use us in your kingdom purposes through all those attributes of the Holy Spirit in us. And Father my prayer is today that for each person sitting in this place and each person sitting in Lakeside Church today and all the churches across the table as we will come and worship you that our whole entire heart has been to elevate your name. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, in Jesus we pray it. Amen.